What is up, everybody? If you are listening today, you made it episode number 10. So we are thankful that you have been with us this far. That means for two and a half months at some point throughout the week, or maybe you're a binge watcher. Um, you know, I don't know, Mark, would we be the type of show that you could watch 10 episodes in a row? I have a friend who said they binged it. Nice. Yep. They binged it. They, they listened to all of them like within two days. So that's Sweet. dedication. Well, if you don't know, if you're the well, first time, we are thankful that you're in our services today. I am Nate. This is my good buddy, Mark. This is the Hideous Bride podcast. We are, I'm a former pastor. Mark is a current pastor, and we just talk about crazy stuff within the church. Um, we're not hopeless when it comes to God, but sometimes the church, I don't, I, mm. I, we're just helpless there. We're, we're not trying to hang on to hope. hope. Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to hang on to hope. No, we're willing to have uh, some just crazy conversations here. Um, if you go back and binge watch, I will say this. So Mark has another podcast called This Poor Pastor's Podcast. I'm, I'll do the plug for him because he won't. Thank he you. is up to uh, you had 110. Um, the, uh, yeah. Uh, today I released 112. 112. And so um, here's the cool thing about this. And I am thankful for Mark because Mark was already at around 100 when we started doing the hideous bride, he was able to always be professional. And I was the guy he was dragging along saying, okay, well, you get your stuff together at some point. And I will say this, and I, we, I'm encouraging folks, if you, if you have a desire or you feel like you would be able to provide good content, do it. That's a great generation to get the word out. And even if you're just helping a small group of people, yep, it's a huge blessing. I will just say this to give you a little bit of a warning slash, um, heads up it is a lot harder than what you think and yeah. you can talk with someone on the phone for two hours and think oh i could do that behind a microphone and then when you get on that microphone it's uh there's something about seeing that blue button that just <laughs> it gets in your head it so does. um thank you if you've watched with us to this point or if you're catching on don't hold the early episodes against me um like 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 or, uh, you know, you know, you know, <laughs> things along those lines. We just talked about humor. I have no problem making fun of myself, Mark. No. How about you? I don't have a problem making fun of you either. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> just put it on the T for him right there. That's right. <laughs> Thank you very much. You made that one easy. Yeah. Oh, we were actually just talking uh, off air uh, about uh Someday, maybe doing some live broadcasts, but you know, we're going to have to have a lot more subscribers than that. Um, we actually went through the last week without either losing or gaining any YouTube subscribers. So, but we're, we're sitting at about three times the views to subscribers on ratio, which I feel pretty good about because a former mentor of ours who has, as of today, 357 subscribers. And he goes around solving church problems or creating them. Um, he uh, he has 357 subscribers and has fewer views per episode than we do. So I feel like we are ahead of the curve, ahead uh, of the curve. It's not that it's a competition, but it is. Yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah. I'm excited. So I'm hoping that we will be creating some of the problems that he will be trying to solve. <laughs> Really, we don't talk to each other, but we're in this together. I mean, we he are. provides us material. Yes. We just want, and I'm, I'm saying this, and I know if it happens now, it's going to, 
I just want to get preached at again. It's been so long. Right. I just want somebody to call us out without actually saying our names. Yep. Um, you know, Which they will on. because they don't yeah. talk about personalities. They talk about principles. This I mean, we know true. this because they told us. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's really all I have left in this life is <laughs> 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 to get preached at once again. Uh, if I got preached at, I would know there. somebody cared enough right. to know my name. Yeah. Right. I mean, which after today's episode, which we'll get to in a moment, um, we may get there because oh. this is going to be one of those ones where um, you are going to get pretty much when I say you, I mean me, Mark, because you you're you're not like me. You are put together. You're mm. grounded in the faith. All true. You're a man of true principle. I, I could and, not agree more. And uh, you are the abbot and I am the Costello. And so <laughs> everybody, but let's be honest, everybody liked Costello. Nobody this, really liked Abbott. Right. This so, is true. Yeah. What a backhanded compliment you just gave me. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. But funny story before we get into this. So yes. Yesterday, my son missed the bus. Here's why my son missed the bus. He currently has a cold. Do you know what it's like when an autistic kid has a cold? Tell us, Nate. They don't know how to properly blow their nose. They just know how to walk around constantly making the sound like something may shoot out a <laughs> snot rocket at any moment. But also the poor kid, and I feel bad for him because he does his best. He just can't with his, uh, you know, some of his issues and motor skills. So he'll just walk around kind of wiping his nose anywhere. Well, in the middle of the night, when you have a cold like that, it ends up where your blanket, your face, whatever. So. When you go to get him up to get him ready, here's oh, the balancing yeah, that most people won't understand. So mom was somewhere else yesterday. It was just me and him. You don't want to get him up too early because if you do, then he is running out the door and for 20 minutes, you're yelling at him to sit down. So it's a really balancing act of the right time to get him ready. He gets stressed. We're instantly out the door. Well, yesterday I didn't time it just right because I didn't give myself an extra minute to wipe his face of all of these, um, you know, newfangled crustaceans that he now oh. had. And so we were able to wipe him off, miss the bus. I tell that story for this. I have to drive him to school. It's Texas. This is so funny that I'll just mark. <laughs> I walk him into school and I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And as I'm walking in, one of the school administrators, <laughs> who's a man, is walking out. He has a winter jacket, gloves, and a beanie on his head. <laughs> so. He looks at me like I'm crazy, and I look at him like he's lost his manhood. You know, like, what? like dude, are you serious right now? I mean, just, like he probably but, drinks Starbucks. But oh man, mm. but I, I mean, I, I'm mocking that. But in a year, that may be me getting used to the hot weather. You know, yep. but I'm thinking, man, I am still a Michigander at heart because this is, you know, oh, this is something else. That's hilarious. Oh man, my heart goes out to you though, because you know they are just. I know all about that, having to decide when to wake them up. Um, there were years, still happens, when my wife and I were like, we live for the moments between bedtime and getting up time. Yeah. Because <laughs> then then she's asleep, you know, yeah. or at least she's in her room. But, oh, my goodness, yeah. Ra raising children itself is a challenge, and funny enough, but... Raising a child with special needs brings a whole nother level. And, um, you know, Nate, I, before we get into today's topic, you and I have talked about this before, and we may do a whole episode on it. I know you posted on it 
about it on your Facebook page, you know, that maybe not all in the, in the West church may not be for everybody. And you got a lot of misunderstanding about your post, but I was actually sitting at breakfast with a group of pastors, which is not my favorite thing in the world to do. And, but I had agreed to go and we were sitting there and I was listening to them talk about people coming back after the pandemic. And the man immediately to my left was telling a story about a a lady who had a son with autism, uh, severe autism, and how she wanted, she had reached out to him and she's like, you know, we're going to be coming back to church. And he actually was nervous about this because she indicated that she was expecting that they would be caring for her son while she comes to church. And he's looking around the table at all of us and it's like, we can't do that. We don't have, how, what, why should this woman think we should be caring for her son? Like, we're not, like it was, it was was almost desperate. And uh, I was smiling on the inside because it's something you and I have talked about a lot. And I was glad that this guy was facing the discomfort of having to acknowledge, yeah. And so I said, not everybody can go to church. And he's like, you know, I didn't used to think that but I think that's true. He said, especially for small churches. And I'm like, yep. So, I mean, for better or worse, um, I, I, I'm glad that some people are, are finding that out. My heart breaks because, man, I wish we could do something different, but I don't have any idea what that would be, like, especially for small churches. But it is encouraging to know that there are some some pastors who are starting to wake up to it. So maybe they'll stop saying stupid things about, you know, if you don't go to church, it's because you choose not to go to church, you know? Um, yep. Now some people, some people can't. Um, the church, the church should go to them, but even that's not the same thing. Um, right. So, yeah. Well, and there's a lot of people who will hear that even listening to this or a lot of people listening to this, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's people that will hear somebody say that type of thing. And I want to look at them and say, if you're going to complain about a problem, why don't you do something about it? Because right. the reality is, is that the people hear that and go, well, that's just a shame that people can't bring their special needs kids into our church. Yeah. It's actually not. And you don't think so. And the reason why I say that is because you're not going to, you're not going to drive to church, get dressed you know, get ready to watch my child every week. Right. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. One week, two weeks, maybe, but yep. And don't convince yourself of a lie and don't put my family in a bad spot, but also don't put yours in a bad spot either. And I think the only way to fix it, Mark, and I'm really trying to work a way to word this. So it Mm. it's helpful to pastors is you would have to have an own special night. I think where, but even then you're singling out people that have one, issue but to there is no way to have for a gathering that is built around music and preaching right have people with sensory issues come and take part it's just not possible no um you know you you talked about in a a text with me about you're taking your wife to something um that women love a play symphony or something yeah um moment of silence for you on that one but um no i mean no they're not bad but to think about of course they're not they're wonderful yeah, they're amazing. I love them. Would would it be fair for me to show up and tell that? Listen, you guys need to stop the lights, cut everything. No, it wouldn't right. be fair because it's that's not what it's geared for. The same thing with church. I don't want to change your church. I just want you to understand that if you want to help people, you're going to have to do something online. Yep. 
or you're going to have to um, find a way to make it possible for them to be there. That's going to involve extreme sacrifice. And I yeah. mean, extreme sacrifice because another side thing people don't like to talk about special needs. Kids need stability. Yeah. So for my son, if you put a new, a new worker in the classroom every week and he has to see a new person each week, it's going to cause him more harm because each week he shows up, he's not going to know who he's going to see a right. different personality newsflash autistic kids are just like every other kid. There's certain people that they don't like. Yep. So, you know, that's, yep. that's kind of where we're at. Yep. And my daughter's not autistic. She has issues um, related uh, to um, FAS, which fetal alcohol um, okay. stuff. And so there's cognitive issues. There's impulse issues um, because of her background adoption um, the neglect and abuse that she experienced prior to coming to live with us. She's a survivor. So stability okay. is important for her for a completely different reason. And that's because the, the newer the person is like on the way to school yesterday, she said, I think my teacher's out today because she's having surgery on her foot. That means we have a substitute. And, and I'm like, Oh dear God. Cause I know what's going to happen. Like, my daughter views a substitute like fresh meat. She is highly manipulative. She's highly intelligent, very manipulative. And, um, and it is, I mean, it's always a problem because she goes into a room and she starts working the room. She doesn't do genuine emotion. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't, she knows, she knows how to mirror emotions and she uses them to her advantage. And so someone that's brand new thinks they're helping and they're actually making things absolutely worse and so for us it's like oh man every time there's a new person it's like having to retrain someone all over again um because it'd be like oh it, when we have a meeting at the school and some new staff person says we absolutely love your daughter she is such a joy so cooperative and so this i'm like this person just hasn't met her long enough yet she doesn't know she's being manipulated and used and lied to. And again, I'm not trying to paint my daughter as a, as a bad person. It's just with her background, she has this high, uh, this high survival mentality. And with her cognitive issues, it's just a train wreck. So for her, we need people that know her well. Every new school is a nightmare whenever we change schools or classrooms. But it would be the same at church. The same thing happens at church. Like... If there's somebody new working in junior church, we might not send her that week um, because it wouldn't be fair to the workers or the other kids in the class. And yeah, this isn't an episode on special needs, but hey, we're just having a conversation and and sometimes those things happen. I guess, Pat, if you're a pastor and listening or if you're in working in a church and you're struggling with the guilt of not being able to minister to everybody, let me relieve you of that. You can't minister to everybody, not you yeah. personally. And you need to learn to be able to say, as painful as it is, I'm sorry, we are not set up to minister to someone in your situation. Um, I'm willing to look for a way we can. We need to grow in this area, but don't prom make promises that you, can't, that you can't fulfill. It's not as easy as painting a wall with sensory sensitive paint and yeah. then saying, oh yeah, we're we have an autistic friendly room um, or we understand. It's, it'd be better special needs parents have been have been disappointed enough 
don't let you be, don't let the church be another disappointment to them. Just tell them up front, I'm sorry, we're not, we're not set up for this. We're not set up for this. Um, so when we brought my daughter home, when we sent her to the Christian school, she went to the Christian school for one year in uh, pre-K and the school said, I'm sorry, she can't come back. We can't, we're not set up to handle her. And it hurt, right? Because yeah. now we have to go find somewhere else, but, it, but I'm glad they were honest. And because she has made significant strides at the public school that I don't think she ever would have made at the Christian school. And they had the courage to say, I'm sorry, we wanted to, but we cannot handle this. So rip the bandaid off. Speaking yeah. of ripping the bandaid off, we're going to kind of do that today. Um, <laughs> we are going to talk about doctrinal statements and why we may never have one on this podcast, probably never, and why doctrinal statements may not be the best idea for churches. Hmm. I feel like this would be a good time for a commercial break, but we don't have any sponsors, so <laughs> there's no commercials coming. Well, Mark, you just told everyone that it was okay to tell people the, that it wasn't for them, so now they're going to think it's okay to tell their church members that the hideous pride isn't for them after this doctrinal statement episode. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee, with or without our permission, they will They will definitely. Because they will think we have special needs. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mark's daughter is not the only one with cognitive issues. Yeah. So, um, full disclosure, Nate does not have a doctrinal statement in his life. I am a pastor. Our church currently has a doctrinal statement. So, I, I want to just say that honestly. It's not because I'm in favor of one, but I did agree to one when I came to pastor here. Um, I would not necessarily do the same thing again, at least not without a much more in-depth conversation. So... Um, but if that makes me a hypocrite for having this conversation, I don't know how you, I mean, I mean, you can't get rid of slavery unless you have somebody in the middle of slavery starting to talk about slavery. So sometimes you can't make changes unless people who are right in the middle of it start talking about it. So we got one guy on the outside, one guy on the inside, and we're both screaming at each other. So, um, but since I'm the hypocrite here, Nate, why don't you, uh, why don't you kick us off and head us in the right direction? Why, why is this even something we want to talk about? Um, I, I do want to say, first off, for those that would not know, there's a difference in bylaws and a doctrinal statement. Mm. Okay, so a church or any organization or something that is convincing itself it's not a church when it really is, you should have bylaws if you are in the, in the United States of America. I All right, you. we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but here is why. They are not there. I don't care what any church tells you, any pastor tells you. The bylaws have nothing to do with the Bible. It's all about legal things that deal outside of the church. Right. Now, whatever bylaws you make or have, you actually have to follow them if you ever want them to ever be a part of your advantage. Okay. There's been horror stories of that. Um, I'm just not even going there, but <laughs> on my end, but you have to have bylaws that you would adhere to. I know, Mark, you dealt with something in a church yep. once where you had to deal with something illegal as yep. far as your church dealing with a property. You have to show that. Okay. You say, well, I don't want by, I don't want bylaws. I just want God to protect me. All right. Here's what I want to just say to you with all sincerity. If you have any type of structure of a gathering outside of something online, but mm -hmm. you're bringing people to a house, a coffee shop, a whatever, if something happens to a member of your community, and you do not have bylaws and you are not incorporated with your state or the, you know, where you're at, mm 
you will get sued and the entity won't get sued. Every member will get sued right. individually. And yep. all they have to do to show that you're a member is proving that you were there at any amount of time. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that are like, well, I just have it at my home and I don't need bylaws. God will protect me. Well, do you also have insurance on that home? Right. For stuff outside of church. Right. Okay. Your logic's not adding up, right? You have life insurance so that your, your thought process isn't, if something happened to me, Mark, well, my wife, God would just protect her. So it's okay. No, no you have things in place. So you have to have bylaws. Okay. What you put in those, I don't even want to get into that mess. Most yeah. of the bylaws that I've ever seen are just horrible and they're dated. But um, so bylaws, totally separate. You've got to have them on some level. Okay. You've got to protect yourself. Yep. A doctrinal statement. Here's the thing, Mark, where I am strongly opposed to this. And I always wasn't. But when I think of doctrinal statements, I think of them, they're kind of like voting. Mm. You know, the people tell me that voting will bring us together, but the more we do it, the farther apart we get. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Yeah. Um, but I've heard something know, about that. A doctrinal statement is something that you are putting your name to saying, I will never change or deviate from this in any way. The problem is, is just like where Mark and I went to college, they told us this is what you're going to believe and never change. So you're telling a 1920 at best 25 year old kid, you know, um, don't ever change. That's absurd because you would never do that in any area of life. You know? Right. Um, so you're, you're, you're writing your name on it to where you're almost bound to say, I'm sticking with something that I no longer feel, or I, um, if I walk away from it, am I now dishonest? And did I sign something that at the time I didn't believe? Mm. So I'm going to kick it to you. Cause I've got some other small things on this and I don't want to talk. Yeah. For too well, long without so some it. churches make the mistake. I think it's a mistake um, of, ah, uh, this is my opinion. And I, I could be wrong. I, I definitely could be wrong. Most, you know, most of the time I'm not, but I could be wrong here. Um, to require someone to sign a doctrinal statement in order to join your church, I get. I understand it. I disagree with it, but I understand it because many view this as a means of protecting the unity of the church. Just on a practical level, I have never pastored a church that ran greater than 100 on any service for, for any length of time. And in, so in a small church like that, I have also never in almost 20 years pastored a church where all of my members could even explain the doctrines that they said they believed. So that's a problem. Um, but there again, you're asking someone to, to sign some statements. I don't, when that happens, one of two things are, is, is always going to be happening. If you're actually winning people to Christ and causing them, you know, to sign these documents in order to join, there is no way a new convert understands doctrines of soteriology, salvation, or eschatology, the end times, or 
deity and the Godhead. I mean, for goodness sakes, we didn't even have an articulation of the Trinity until a couple of hundred years after the time of Jesus Christ. And that was by theologians who sat around for days discussing it before they developed this. Now you're going to have this guy who just last week was in a bar drinking himself into a stupor, who prayed the prayer that you had him pray at his door, sign a paper that says he believes in the doctrine of the Trinity. Like, if he can spell Trinity, that's awesome, but he can't defend it. He doesn't even know it, but he has to sign it. So you're having people agree to things that they don't understand, which is blatantly dishonest. The other problem that happens, if that's not the case, is you are barring people from being a part of the church, which Christ puts saved people into, because they don't yet understand a formulation of doctrinal positions that you hold to that may or may not be accurate, but you're, you're denying them entrance into the fellowship on the basis of those things. I mean, Jesus was willing to fellowship and invite into his inner circle men who didn't even understand that he needed to die on a cross. Yeah. So... He didn't say, sign this. Even when he said, like, I'm going to go up and I'm going to die, you know, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. His main guy is like, that is never going to happen to you, God. And then Jesus is like, you're like Satan. Like, get out of here. You don't even know what you're talking about. And this is like his inner circle. They did not understand. And so it eliminates the, the opportunity for teaching and growth because someone signed their name to a piece of paper. Well, we're unified on these things. No, you ain't. What you've just done is closed out some people and made others liars. On that note, Nate, back to you. Completely agree. And I would just say, if someone may say, well, um, full transparency as well. It was about three years ago, two years, I think it was three years ago, when our church redid a lot of our stuff, went through everything, and we did things that now I would not do as far as outside of the bylaws because where it can get murky is the doctrinal statement a lot of times is in tow with your bylaws as far as if we had to remove someone from church, it would be because they didn't agree with our beliefs. The problem is, is what I would now say would probably be the most helpful is, look, if you've got a bad apple, then there should be a majority within the group that should be able to say, hey, you're just not a part of us because you don't agree with our with our right. values. You don't have to create every doctrine out there and say, this is what we believe, because also you don't want to um, corner your pastor where he's teaching on something and he has to stay within the parameters of his bylaws. Yes. That's why you have guys that preach just milquetoast sermons where they're never going to go into deep study because that's what the bylaws are for if they're ever needed. And even if they studied something and found something different, or changed a view on something, they can't share it with the church. Right. right. So um, I would just say, as far as a doctrinal statement goes, you know, keep that as simple and as simple as possible. Yep. Um, because, you know, you could do the love God, love others, add a couple other things in there. Yeah. You know, I mean, just simple stuff and letting people know, hey, this is what we adhere to. Or each week we meet, we open up the Bible and share God's word. Whatever you would want to do that would keep at that point. Um, the background that Mark and I came out of, I remember when the, a podcast came out, the recovering fundamentalist podcast, yep. um, it was really, 
I don't know if it was as much helpful for me as much cathartic. It was as cathartic. As, yeah. yeah. Where I came from, these guys were speaking a language that I would understand. I agreed with a lot of their stuff. Here's where I got to give my buddy, Mark, extreme credit. Um, I, at one point was like, Hey, Mark, have you heard this? And you know, they're doing these meetups or doing different things. Maybe we should check it out. And I remember Mark saying, he said, Nate, I've already had a collar put on me for years. I'm not interested in, in teaming up with somebody else. And I'm like, no, I think these guys are different. You know, of course, my line that has burned me a million times over. You know, I think that they're different. They're different. Like, he goes, no, he's like, they all look the same. They all kind of preach the same. You know, they can share with us some great stuff, but they're going to try to rope us into something new. Mm-hmm. And come to find out the more that I had listened to them, you could kind of tell, okay, these guys went from used to be fundamentalists to now they're Calvinistic, right? Mm-hmm. One of them kind of admits to it. The other two, I always say this, when someone has to go out of their way to tell you that they're not a Calvinist, but then when you ask them certain questions, they give you Calvinist answers, right? Dude, you're a, it's fine. Just be honest with who you are. Right. So it progressed to a point where they got a big following. I don't know how many people follow them now. Um, the, the last a few time more I than we have, I think, I don't know. I'm sure a couple. Yeah. The last time I listened to them is actually uh, involving the topic that we are discussing right here. And they got a big following, started doing the meetup, started doing different types of giving things, all that stuff. And all of a sudden they came out with a doctrinal statement. And right then I knew I'm like, something's going on behind the scenes. This isn't organic. This isn't something that they thought about themselves. I've seen this stick played out before. Something's going on behind the scenes. Lo and behold, within the next month, the church split guys that were a part of their podcast network refused to sign the doctrinal statement and got kicked out. Yep. Now, how do you make a platform, Mark, where, and this is where they've tried to defend it. They can't see it. How do you make a platform where your claim to fame is we refuse to be like the fundamentalist. If you don't agree with us, we're going to kick you out. Right. To now doing the same things of where you left. But the only difference is, is that the fundamentalist kicked you out because your wife didn't wear pants and you didn't use the King James Bible, but you kicked out this other guy because in your words and your thought pattern, he didn't believe in the doctrines on your doctrinal statement and he may have had some heretical issues because of the penal substitution argument, all of that stuff. Right. But you're going to tell me that you're different. It's the same garbage that I left. Right. It's so- exactly right. Yeah. And that's, that is, yeah, I couldn't say it any better than that. I, I don't, it's just dishonest. It's dishonest. Now we're going to get to in a little bit, hopefully, you know, does that mean that we don't believe anything and that anything's on the table and how do you protect about false doctrine in the church? Well, I'm going to, I, I intend to talk about that. Maybe Nate will talk about it as well. But sit first with what Nate just said. Like, you can't say you're different and then act exactly the same. And you have the right to have a doctrinal statement, but don't pretend that you're different. The only thing different is what you believe doctrinally, not how you're acting. Um. And by so, the way, your doctrinal statement had the most Calvinistic language I've seen in quite some time. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, well, and, and you know, at the time when Nate and I were talking about it, I wasn't exactly sure where he, what, where he stood on the doctrine of Calvinism. Um, so 
but I already knew that at one of the guys, at least two of the guys, they already were Calvinists. And so I've had bad experience with Calvinists. And I know that, that sometimes they're less than forthcoming with their doctrinal positions, but sooner or later they do. So I'm like, I, I know where this is going. Like these guys, they won't be able to, they won't be able to contain themselves um, for long. So, um, and I believe they love the Lord. We always have to have those disclaim, disclaimers, right? right. Uh, they're in the kingdom. They love the, I'm, I'm sure that they love the Lord. That's, right. that's not the issue that I have. The issue that Nate and I had were where you made an entire platform saying, you know, we're free, we're free, we're free until click, here's the collar. Um, now we, they went from we're free to we're the masters. Um, and that, I, you know, if that's for you, go for it, you know. Um, uh, Nate, how would you answer someone who's screaming at their screen right now or angrily typing away on Twitter or getting ready to put us into a sermon that would say, you know, well, you guys, you know, without a doctrinal statement, it's just a free-for-all. Anybody can come in and just teach anything. I'd like to respond to my own question, but first I'd like to hear, like, what would you say to, to someone like that? I think you are, again, oversimplifying something where you think that I'm an extremist for not having one, I think that you maybe are more on the other end of, we already have the answer for everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I know that there's going to be a variation of this in a little bit. My opinion doesn't change who God is. Right. All right. That is one thing that I do somewhat agree with, with how we were taught Mark, which is, you know, I don't agree with how it was presented. I don't agree with the meanness, but just because I changed my mind on something doesn't mean that God, it changed who God is, but it also doesn't mean that you're correct in your mind, your correct view that you've always had defines who God is either. Yep. So, but I would just say, what are the real lines? Because I, I hear people say things like, well, all that matters are the fundamentals of the faith, right? Which is what we heard with the podcast that we just mentioned, right? And who says until what those you, are? Yeah. Until you came out with a doctrinal statement that listed way more than five fundamentals of the faith or however right. many you want to have. Okay. Right. Um, but I don't think it's helpful to have where, you know, everything is mapped out because if you're learning on a topic like end times for, for instance, which if you want to go to one of those conferences, God, God love you. God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, give me and Mark the overview. We're going to take a hard pass, hard pass. But do you want a speaker to not tell you what God has truly put on his heart? I heard a podcast. Um, Mark, actually, you shared it with me. I forget who it was. It was some lady that did it and it was, she had, she was interviewing somebody. And the guy brought up a stat, which I know all stats are pretty much made up, but I think he's probably more right than wrong, where he said he, from his learning and questionnaires and things that he sent out, 25% of pastors and evangelical type churches don't have the view of hell of the churches that they're at, but you would never know it because they can't say anything. Now, why would you want to have a pastor who is not allowed to share what's on his heart? Or if God is working on his heart in an area to be able to share with the church how he's changed or where he thinks. And if the church doesn't accept it, 
they could, I guess you could say, kick him out. But here's the other point that I would make that people don't want to talk about. And I've seen it with churches who they've changed, right? Like, but their bylaws haven't changed. Right. And, but the only way to change your bylaws is with a 80% vote. Right. Well, you and I both know, Mark, there's always a contingent in every church that doesn't want to change anything, no matter what, even if they don't live what's in the bylaws. Right. We're not changing them. And I've seen guys pastor churches where when they got there, it was a small amount of people. Now it's a, a large amount of people and everyone in the church doesn't believe like what the bylaws say, but when they try to change it, yep, they can't change it because they don't have enough of a majority. And then a huge blow up ends up happening Yep, or s- there's division somewhere in the, in the, in the doctrinal statement, instead of creating unity, created division. Yep. And that is where I, you know, show me a point where it helped your church and didn't hurt it without saying that people left in a horrible way. Yeah. I haven't seen it. So if someone says to me, how are you going to keep people from coming in and teaching whatever they want? I would have to ask, show me where that's happening. You know, where is that happening? And on, on the other hand, show me that it's not already happening in your church. Like if you have people that get together for coffee or have meals together, you guarantee it's happening. People are going to talk about what they believe. And when they get comfortable, they're going to share what they actually believe. So there, in, there is no church that has 100% of people that signed a doctrinal statement um, that everybody in that church actually believes all those doctrines to the same way and to the same extent. Right. Um, and they're, they're, they are talking about it. So if your church isn't imploding now, take a chill. It's, it's not going to implode without them signing the doctrinal statement. This is where bylaws are really important. Like Nate said, the bylaws are designed to protect the church, not to control the church. And one of the things you can have in your bylaws is who gets to who gets to um, um, join. How do you deal with membership? How do you deal with properties? And if someone comes in and they're just a jerk and they're dividing the church, teaching all kinds of stuff that's just causing all kinds, then, then you can deal with that. You don't need a doctrinal statement to deal with that kind of division. The Bible already has a plan for dealing with disunity within the church. Not only that, you have a pastor. And most of the, te- most of the churches I know, not, their doctrinal statement notwithstanding, the pastor and or elders and deacons decide who does the teaching. Yep. So you choose who's doing the teaching. So you already have control over that. You don't need a doctrinal statement to be in control over that. Um, You don't need people to sign it. And again, I'll go back and say it again. If you are making people agree to a doctrinal statement before they join, and you think, well, I have a membership class. They have to go for four weeks. They teach entire college classes on almost every doctrine in your doctrinal statement. And you think a four-week lecture taught by a man who works 60 hours a week and then comes in and teaches. So four hours is is going to sufficiently cover those doctrines. It's not. It's still the same thing. Just why bother doing it? Why bother? Have a membership class where you say, here's our heart. Here's what we want to do. Here's what, here's who we are in our community. Here's our identity. If you think you want to be a part of that, come on ahead. Well, what if they believe in, what if they believe in a mid-trib rapture? Who cares if they believe in a mid-trib rapture? I have good, I've had people in our church 
who believe in mid-trib. I'm not mid-trib. And you know what? It never caused an issue. What it did cause was a lot of really cool conversations. But if I had someone come in and I was pre-trib and they're mid-trib and they just want to just con every time we have a discussion, it comes up and they just want to cause arguments about it. I'm going to have an I'm going to have a discussion with them as the pastor or leadership, not over the divergent doctrine, but over their spirit. Like, why yeah. are you causing division over this? You know, this is not God is not in this. And I don't need a doctrinal statement that they signed in order in order to make that happen. But here's a story, Nate, that I have from a lady who is distantly related to me. Um, when she was talking to me about, she said, I found a church. She left an IFB church in California. She was hurt by it. She was looking for a place to go. She wanted some place that believed the Bible, um, but not IFB. And of course, we know those places don't exist. But I said, do the best you can. She found a church. She loved everything about the church, but she didn't believe in the church's stand on es position on eschatology. And she felt very strongly a different way. And the pastor and the bylaws required that she sign an agreement statement. This is a dear lady who would be a benefit to any church. And she said, I don't care that they believe that about eschatology. She said, I just... She said, Mark, how can I sign something I don't agree with? And I said, well, you can't if you're honest. So go and talk to the pastor yeah. about it. She talked to the pastor, Nate. He said what, I guarantee, what, is, what is happening in almost all these churches, but he said it honestly. He said, just sign it. You don't have to believe it. And she said, what should I do? I said, I would tell him no. I'm not going to sign something I don't believe. Yeah. And, but I would then say to him, but if I can sign it and I don't have to believe it, why do I have to sign it? Right. You know, and um, so this is happening everywhere. But I don't know of a church that has a doctrinal statement or doesn't where the pastor and leaders aren't in full control of who's doing the teaching anyway. So that's a red herring. Like it's just not a problem. What is a problem that Nate mentioned? Am I talking too much? What is a problem? Oh. Someone's saying yes. Um, is that it constricts discovery curiosity and discussion because i as a pastor have felt the internal check when i'm reading my bible and i'm like oh no i think my position on this may need to shift but i can't really talk about it. like if someone we have question and answer time at our church and if someone asks me a question i can't lie to them but if i tell them where i'm leaning I'm in opposition to the doctrinal statement that I said I agreed with. And I just, I don't understand why we should expect people to sign to a list of six, seven, or eight doctrines and tell them you may never, ever, ever have a change of opinion about this or you're out. Yeah. Ah, it's problematic. That's all I got to say at, the, at this point. Spot on. And that's why one of the things when Mark and I, before we even started or you know, we had like a, I think a day and a half before our first episode before like, yeah, let's just do it. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I don't know. <laughs> We've been talking for a while, I think. And it finally one day it was like, you know, you want to just go for it. Yeah. But and I told him and I know he was in agreement, but I'm like, Mark, the day that one of us tries to bring in a doctoral statement, uh, it's over. Like yep. I am just gone. And I, and I refuse to come up with something 
because if you're the type of person who listens to two guys like us and who thinks to yourself, I wonder what they believe about soteriology, eschatology, um, you know, uh, what was that one you said that one week? Epistemology? Epistemology. It's how we know what we know. It's a branch of knowledge. I could just hear some IFB guy that we came from. He's talking about epistemology. It's a, a epistemology me off. You know, he said bad like, words, right? <laughs> I, mean, yep. so, I mean, but those if, people if that have pissed against a wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every word is pure. Every word is pure. <laughs> so, I will not be ashamed of the if King you're James. Listening to two, to two guys like us and you're worried about that. You're sincerely the type of people I would not want to hang out with anyways. And right. you may think. Well, Nate, that's judgmental. No, I'm just being honest. I right. do not have a desire to be around people that care about stuff that's insignificant or that does not matter. Because ultimately, you know, the more you talk about any issue, the more division that you could find. And I think doctrinal statements and theory, they're trying to say, well, we're just going to put this here, either agree to it or don't. This is who we are. And to avoid all conversation. But yep. In reality, you're just taking people and they're they're forced to stay quiet. They're not a force. They're they, because they're having to stay quiet. They're getting unhealthy resources to to have the true discussions. Yep. And you know, if somebody wants to believe differently than me and on some topic, and we're in the church together, as long as we believe that Jesus Christ died for us and He put us here to love each other and care for the world around us, and we're made in His image. I, it's only a problem if somebody makes it a problem. Yep. And you say, well, what if our pastor starts going crazy? Friend, I say this sincerely. There's no doctrinal statement that's going to reel him in. Nope. If your pastor starts going haywire, leave anyways. Yeah. I mean, you know, or well, or get rid of them. Yeah. I mean, if it's consensus, get rid of them. Yep. But if, if it's not and you know it's going to be a fight, don't waste your time because there'll be nothing left but rubble and yep. bitterness. Yep. Um. But, you know, it's it's not helpful because the reality is and people can disagree with me if they want, Mark, but people that are going to church and hearing messages each week, they don't care about what's in that doctrinal statement anyways. Nope. Because if you ask your average person, let's use that word average that we love, yep, that goes to their church, what does your church believe on fill in the blank? They would not have a clue. And sometimes, and here's where it even gets crazier, you could tell them, hey, did you know that according to your church's doctrinal statement, your pastor believes that your unsaved neighbor was created for hell? No, he does not. You should hear him preach. I mean, right? It, they they don't. Yep. It, it's cognitive dissonance all around I yep mean, you know it's good job it's, nate that was a good one boom learning from mark cognitive dissonance. good job love it love you're it. up oh you're i'm up. up okay um yeah, i spent my my uh, fancy word i'm done okie dokie um i'm thinking someone's gonna say like well can't doesn't the bible say that there are things that we have to believe and yeah for sure like we have to believe the bible um and I know you're here, like Paul saying, you know, if anybody comes unto you, you know, or maybe it was John, both Paul and John talked about people who, who don't believe the same doctrine. If someone walks contrary to the doctrine, you know, have no fellowship with them. You, you know, the truth of the matter is, 
if you just read those passages honestly anyway, you're going you're gonna to have to walk away recognizing there were no doctrinal statements that people were signing, right? There was a body of belief that people had, and if someone came and they were causing division, then that person was going to have to be, like, shuttled out the door. It was about division anyway, um, not about, you know, perfect assent to willful assertions of creedal propositions. Um, and the... I don't have a problem saying, you know, that someone should believe that the Bible is is true. The Bible is God's word. Uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, nobody can say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You know, anybody that says Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh, you know, is not of God. So, you know, that Jesus Jesus came in the flesh and and... But even some of those things, it's like those weren't written so that we would, you know, to be able to delineate these doctrines and say, here, sign these things. Right. Because a doctrinal statement, a lot of doctrinal statements say, this is not an exhaustive list of everything we believe. But we've just decided that these are the things that if you don't believe, that if you don't say you believe these, you're out. Well, what if we disagree on something else? You know? You King James only guys, you know, every word of God is pure, except, you know, some are more pure than others. Um, good for you. But even, you know, if you don't believe in the Trinity, as I heard some, I heard a guy the other day, so if you don't believe in the Trinity, how can someone be saved and not believe in the Trinity? There was no doctrine of the Trinity for at least 200 years after the New Testament. Whether the, doc, whether the Bible teaches the doctrine of the Trinity, Trinity as presented in I think it was the Nicene Creed. Whether that's true or not, the point is it wasn't formulated until well after the New Testament church that you read about in the book of Acts. There was nobody, because Paul didn't, didn't specifically teach the Trinity, there was nobody that was, that was made to say, do you believe that, G that, God is, that Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but Jesus is not the Father, the Father is not Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not Jesus. Do you believe that the, you know, all of these... All the, that didn't, didn't happen because it didn't. That doctrine, as it's formulated currently, doesn't exist. So why is it on your yeah. doctrinal statement that someone has to agree to? Do they believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do they believe God came to save to save them? Have they trusted Christ as Savior? Have, are they, you know, have they? Um, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved and signed the doctrinal statement. I mean. It was after they were added to the church that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. It was teaching. And I think sometimes our doctrinal statements are a coward's way out of having to explain why what we believe is supported by Scripture rather than just asserting, we believe these things. Good good for you. Good for you. Um, but it, like I said, it, it, it minimizes curiosity it stunts growth, and it breeds superiority. Breeds yep. superiority. Every um, time. So bylaws are necessary. Doctrinal statements, I think, are a relic of a bygone era, and they need to just, they need to be gone. And, um, yeah. I would hope so. And I only say that because I've just never seen a point where they bring unity. Right. Um, they... they you know, and even talking about verses in the Bible, you know, we've heard Romans, the most loved verse outside of the ones in the Romans row that are just picked and pulled from passages are the, you know, mark those that cause divisions. Right. And 
but when Paul is saying these things, he's he's talking to groups, Mark, as you said, it wasn't about the Trinity. It wasn't about soteriology. It was about people with a new religion forming, right? right. And, 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 you know, did they believe that Jesus came bodily as it talked about, or, or, you know, things of the circumcision and all that stuff that we, you know, we could make snippets and clip it to pieces, but ultimately, um, you know, it, it comes down to the fact of when it, I don't think it's talking about Western Christianity where a Baptist and a charismatic are fighting over is tongues, a known language, a prayer language, or something that somebody audibly speaks that nobody knows what they're talking about. Right. right. Like, I don't think that was anywhere near it. Right. And could you use some of the principles in argument? Possibly, maybe, but I'm going to go ahead and say, I think sometimes we're fighting about problems that don't exist. Yep. Um, I don't think that somebody that's a, uh, a Pentecostal would go to Mark's church because after being there for a month, he's not going to teach what they would want to hear. Right. So does he have to create this document to throw them out? No. I mean, if they're decent people, they're going to realize this gathering probably doesn't fit me that well. But especially when you're talking about things that are are um, like for a podcast or for um, smaller churches, I don't see the need to create something that's going to make people feel left out because there's always going to be people, as we talked about at the very beginning, you're going to set standards that there's going to be certain people that can't meet those standards, mm-hmm. whether they be disabled, whether they, whether they, uh, believe like that dear lady in a different uh, theology point where um, on end times. And if your entire thought process is to, I know everything because the main thing about a doctrinal statement, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but they have an answer for everything. And I don't think that's ever what following Jesus was about. I mean, we were people of the way, right? In the, in the, of in the, the book way. of Acts. Yeah. It's like wherever life was, the way. I mean, it's just as we go. Yep. And so how can we say now, because it's 2022, we now have a perfect document that tells us everything inside of our perfect Bible, what that is and believes, when there is absolutely no way to admit that. Because even for a dear man like that pastor that you sat with, he would have told you, before that lady said, I'm bringing my special needs kid, great church members do A, B, and C. And once he realized that there was something that uh, didn't fit his perfect box, yep. he thought to himself, I need to rethink my whole thought pattern on church attendance. Yep. You know, but yep. the doctrinal statement won't let you do that. Yep. So, you know, and, and a lot of doctrinal statements, as specific as you think they are, are vague enough that um, some people can sign them and hold to a different view because your you know your wording is is so vague, especially in matters of salvation, um, which is why you said you know you know if you ask somebody do you know your pastor believes this you're like no it doesn't our church doctrinal statement says Jesus died for all it's like right same words just different dictionaries so I mean doctrinal statements don't necessarily preclude you from having those problems. That's what pastors and teachers are for. That's what they're for. Like your doctrinal statement is not supposed to protect your church. Pastor, you're supposed to be doing that. Elder, you're supposed to be doing that. Deacons, you're supposed to be helping with that. 
as well as delivering bags of groceries, evidently. Um, you're supposed to be doing those things. So, I mean, stop farming out the responsibility. And it's a cheap thing anyway, right? You can't, you can't defend your position. So you punt to the doctrinal statement and said, you're out because our church believes this. Um, and again, I'm, I bet your church doesn't believe that. Here's a challenge for you. Randomly call a church member this week. I mean, don't put them on the spot on Sunday morning, but call them a week in advance and say, next Sunday, I'm going to ask you to come to the platform and explain to our church um, the doctrine, what the Bible says about the doctrine of the Trinity. And it has to be random, put all the names in a bag who have ever signed it. Two things are going to happen, or maybe only one thing. Either they're going to come up if you choose the average church member, and they're going to fuddle themselves all over the place, and it's going to be embarrassing, and you're going to embarrass them, and it's going to be obvious they have no idea what the Bible teaches about the Trinity. They might read um, you know, in theological terms, the, the, the comma Johannium, the, 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 you know, there are three that bear record in heaven. They might find that verse, and that's about as far as they're going to get. They're not going to be able to explain it or defend it. The other thing that's likely to happen is they'll be absent. Yeah. They won't even be there because they don't understand it. They Ever just again. signed it because you told them. You told them that they had to sign it, so they did, but they don't understand it. So why did they have to sign it? Like, I, I mean, okay. I'll make, a, I'll make a compromise and say, have a doctrinal statement. Just don't make people sign it. Say, here's a list of the doctrines that we tend to hold to. But it's not mandatory. It's not binding. But even that, you know, Nate, I've been pastoring almost 20 years. And rarely, if ever, does the subject of the doctrinal statement come up. In new visitors, you know who it does come up in? The people that I wouldn't want to join my church anyway. The ones who walk in and say, what do you believe about the end times? It's like, we don't even believe there are any, but the church across town does. You should go there. Right. You know, and, you know, I'm looking for a church that's King James only. Even, even when I was King James only. Uh-oh, someone just heard the word when. Even when I was King James only, I didn't want those people in my church. Because they're jerks, and they're, they're myopic in their view. They can only see one thing. And so <laughs> I'm just like, that's not what we're trying to accomplish here. It's literally not what we're trying to accomplish here. And the guy that is curious about Christ and his family is falling apart and he's nursing an alcohol addiction, and I'm trying to help him, and he says, I think I'd like to be a part of this, of this family. It's like, well... Sorry, dude, you know, you can't because you don't understand soteriology. Um, you know, I don't know. I just don't, I, I, I'm, I'm willing for, what, what's the best, be an argue, argue with me, Nate. What is the number one best argument someone can present from your point of view for why we should not only have doctrinal statements, but make people sign them? Well, I would also say, as far as you say, well, I don't make people sign it. Okay, are there words in there that say if people don't adhere to it, right, then you can kick them out because right. that's the equivalent of you. It's the same thing. It. It's the yep. same thing. So, don't try to use that loophole. All right, okay. I want to mention that. Um, 
the the thing is, I think people would say is what you kind of made reference to of, well, we need to let people know where we stand, what we believe, who we are. Um, it defines us as a church. It lets people know in the community we're a uh, conservative or a liberal or, you know, Unitarian type church. This allows people, it, it shows our heart within a statement, right? Just mm-hmm. like all of the scripture shows the heart of God, this document shows our heart as a church, okay? I think that that would probably be the overall, and it helps, it helps Mark, it helps keep us grounded mm-hmm. in case someone starts to teach something faulty, we can go back and adhere to what when we were in our right mind, we held on to. Okay. Right. I think that that would probably be your, be your best argument. Okay. Again, I, I can't make it that well, Mark, because I don't agree with that. Right. So I, I, but I'm doing what I think I would have one time said and probably hardcore agreed with. Yeah. Um, I just, I, um, okay. Let I me think, give you an example. Yeah. Yep. So, Go ahead. The last church that I was at, um, which I don't even like to refer to as a church or even talk about, I was um, cleaning out the place was a rat's nest and I was cleaning out one of their 5,000 drawers full of garbage. And when I opened up the drawer, I found a copy of the church's bylaws and Mm. constitution. Okay. It's pretty thick. The next time we had service... I brought the document. Keep in mind, I never saw a signed copy and I never saw anything that would ever, where the church said, this is what we do, mm-hmm. but it was the one that had their name on it. And I brought it to all of the people. And I found out later through someone who had went there in the past. Yes, that is what he believed that they adhered to. I gave every member a copy in that church. And I said, is this who you are? Not one of the people in attendance said, this is what we agree with and who we are. And most of them said that were there. If we had known that this is what our church was about, we would have never been a part of it. Uh-huh. Okay. So I think it goes back to your point. They're useless because nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> yep. You know? Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I taught years ago, on the importance of you know doctrinal statements, I said what we were taught is that doctrine unites and doctrine divides, and both of those are a good thing. That's what I taught. So I, I could see someone making that argument, and uh, you're free to do that. It is true. Doctrine does tend to unite um, birds of a feather, um, and doctrine does tend to divide. Um, the closer I am in agreement with someone on any area of life, the better fellowship I'm going to have with them. I mean, there's no way of getting around that. Yeah. So that's a, I think that's a solid argument for having a doctrinal statement. If you want to have one, um, it is that if you're looking to maintain what you might call doctrinal purity, um, then a narrow, uh, firmly enforced doctrinal statement is the best way to go. If you want to make sure that everyone in your church will at least give lip service to a pre-trib rapture, a doctrinal statement is the best way to go um, or any other doctrine that, that you have. Again, keeping in mind, they're just lying because they don't understand it, but you can at least feel good that 
that they do. And you'll have the security of knowing if anybody ever presents a biblical argument that is too strong for you to handle, you can kick them out. So there's that. Um, yep. And I just, you know, I think it was Paul, he either told Timothy or Titus that they need, he, they needed to really pay attention to doctrine, to the doctrine. And he, he didn't mean the doctrinal statement, but to the doctrine, because part of a minister's job was to be able to bo both exhort and convince the gainsayers. Let's be honest that we don't really do that anymore. We just kick out people who disagree with us. There's not a lot of convincing or actual discussion that, that goes on. Um, so um, let me say, and I know, Nate, you have a question, a, a specific thing you want, and we can, we can kind of close out on that, on that side of it, because I think that's important. Pastor, if you agreed to a doctrinal statement when you took over as a pastor of your church and you have changed your position on those doctrines that you said you agreed in, you need to be honest with the people about that, or at least the leadership. Yeah. You say, hey, here's where I was, here's where I am now. Um, if you're willing to hear me out, good. If not, I, I need to be honest and tender my resignation because it is dishonest to continue long-term um, in, in that position. Um, but I don't think it's dishonest having agreed to something at one point in your life if you decide you want to try to lead the church to understanding where you're coming from and give them give them an opportunity. I mean, that's what a shepherd's supposed to do. So I'm okay with that too. But if you are a church member or you're seeking a church and they have it, find out if they have a doctrinal statement. And if they do, read it carefully. And if if they make you sign it and you agree with all of it and you want to sign it, okay, but know what you're doing. From that point on, you can no longer ethically pursue investigation of those beliefs other than with the predetermined destination in view. Like yeah. all you'll be doing is is affirming why you already believe what you believe rather than actually asking any legitimate questions about it. So you are shutting down your, your biblical journey. Um, and if but you, you can do it if you want. Yeah. And if there's language in there that says we can kick people out that don't adhere to this or you just joining and getting up and they put your name on the membership role is the equivalent of signing. Right. It's the same thing. So I, yep. and I want to preface that because there's so many people that were taught in a simplistic view, which I still have in a lot of ways um, where, well, I didn't sign it. So I'm fine. No, no. You agreed to take part in something mm -hmm. that said that um, the main thing is Marcus, I know, as you were talking about kind of shifting, um, I want to acknowledge something for anyone listening I am not claiming that because I ever changed my mind on something. I don't think Mark is either where we're equating that with changing the view. Like our views don't change who God is. Correct. Right. Yep. So for the pastor that gets up and screams and says something like, um, you know what, Jack, your, your thought pattern wouldn't split a Pete, whatever they do for their whole, you know, yeah. thing. And, and, and it doesn't change who God is one bit. You can get mad at me, ma'am for saying that you shouldn't dress that way, but it doesn't change the truth one bit. You're right. If that was the truth. Right. And just because you get up there and never 
never mistake somebody being confident with the truth and with overall, right. you know, because the fact of the matter is, is that just because my viewpoint changes on something doesn't mean it changes who God is overall. And people should take it as gospel, as Mark talked about in one of the previous episodes. The fact that you tell me that you study doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. But the more that I live, the more life that I live, I think I see God in different ways than I ever have before. And I'm glad I'm not allowed to compartmentalize him. Uh-huh. And I think that when Jesus said, love God, love others, that is a lot more complex than what we give it. Yep. And we've gone out of our way to write thick doctrinal statements that if we just did our best to stick to the love God, love others, I think we'd avoid a lot of tragedy Absolutely. and a lot of um, name calling and anger within the church. And um, are Mark and I the guys that are going to fix everything? I highly doubt it. And yeah. you know, we mentioned that other podcast earlier. If one of those guys was ever on ours or at some point, you know, we were ever on one of theirs, I highly doubt that that's ever going to happen. Okay. I'm just throwing something out there. We would not be uncordial and we wouldn't enjoy hanging out with each other for an evening, but we don't have to sit around and hang out and take part in, in, in what we feel like is something that's not honoring God either. Right. And I just, I've come to a point in my life. I don't think a doctrinal statement honors God because I think it causes division And I think instead of taking a topic and enjoying talking about salvation, I have to say things like, well, if you understood God, like I do, then you would come to my point of view. Yep. That's just prideful. It's arrogant. It's, it's mean spirited. And, um, I don't find it helpful. I don't, I don't find it joyful. And I think once you start going down that road, Again, you pay for it on the back end and you see pe- preachers get up that are just struggling and they're struggling because it's all politics. That's all doctrinal statements are as well. And so they've dealt with politics all week long and they have one hour on Sunday. They didn't have enough time to prepare or maybe they did, but they're just so angry with what else has been going on. They just dump it on the church. Um, and we're not building each other up. We're tearing each other down. Uh-huh. And someone would say, to when I just said that, well, didn't you spend some time tearing down somebody else? No, I gave an example where I think that there's a problem. I gave an example where I think that a point where there was extreme unity, it caused division. Yep. Well, how do you know it caused division? Because I listen to them every week and now I refuse to. <laughs> yep. That's that's if that's not the definition of division and you say, well, what caused you to divide? It was actually when I found out what they believed. It wasn't when I didn't know. Right. So, yeah. And, and I'm not, okay. So I'm not, uh, you know, I, I do not, geez, we're going to be the anti-Calvinist podcast. <laughs> I am, I, 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 you know, I have some very good reasons that I don't believe in reformed theology, but I have Calvinists in my church because our doctrinal statement uses language about salvation that 99% of your doctrinal statements use that do not preclude Calvinism. Yep. And it's just a matter of definitions of words. When I talk to someone who wants to join our church, I'm up front with them. Like, I'm not Calvinistic. I'm not Reformed. I don't believe in any of the letters of the tulip. Um, I just want you to know that because here's how I approach salvation and this issue. And it's okay with me if you're, if you're not that way. And I have people that sit in my church that say, well, I'm mildly Reformed or I am Reformed. It's like, okay, you're welcome to be here. I'm glad you're here. 
But I just want you to know because some of the things I say might make you uncomfortable. And I don't want you to feel like I pulled the wool over your eyes and made you think I was something when I wasn't. Now, I have people who have sat in my church now for seven years. We disagree on soteriology. And I don't pull any punches in when I when I happen to teach on those on those topics. We also have question and answer times on Sunday mornings and, and Wednesday nights where we've had some really good discussions about disagreements over interpretation of passages that I think has only been beneficial for our congregation. Um, but I've also had some who said, oh, no, I love this church. I'm going to stay. But because they were so invested in Reformed theology, they ended up finding a, a church that was more in line with that. But that happened. They did that. Mm -hmm. I also have to be honest that I don't let people of Reformed leanings teach in my church. And, but I don't have to have a doctrinal statement for that. I didn't have to have them sign anything to say, I don't think you're the best fit for this because the pastor and the, and the deacons, elders of our church, we hold to a non-reformed view of soteriology and we don't need a doctrinal statement. We get to decide who does the teaching and the church has the right by the bylaws to say, we would prefer reformed theology, pastor. We would like to ask you to resign and they could do that. So I just, there, at any point, there is just no good reason to add a doctrinal statement that is enforced into, your, into the mix. It's already pointless. There's no reason for it. And I agree with Nate. I think it causes more problems. And I'll go back to what I said. It breeds superiority. And um, so you can ask, if you wonder, like Nate said, if you wonder what we believe about something, ask us. Here's a good opportunity. Email us, thehideousbride at gmail.com. Address which one of us your question is to. And I don't mind answering what I believe yeah. about certain doctrines. I'm sure Nate and I don't agree on every, on every point yeah. of doctrine. Here's the issue. So what? So yeah. what? And because both of us do agree that we're trying to get to know God better. And our view of these things don't change who God actually is. But being too rigid on some things might hinder me from learning more about God. And I think, Mark, for me, and I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, I you're good. lose a train of thought while it's in my head. Yep. Well, the reason why I want to learn more and know more, and this is going to sting, but it's the God's honest truth in my heart. If God is who we've made him out to be with our doctrinal statements and with our superiority, I'm out, bro. <laughs> that's that's why yep. i'm doing this podcast with you that's yep. why i'm willing to learn and grow more with other people because the heart of god can't be the garbage that we've seen with it our can't churches. be it can't the be. heart of god can't be the fighting over worthless stuff and over buildings and over um you know uh getting mad at somebody because they're like mark said they're laid it out perfectly with someone that believes differently on salvation issues come to my church I love you. You can be here for six years and, and it'll never be an issue. Okay. How many people can honestly say that with issues? Most people can't mm -hmm. because at some point there's going to be a fight. There's going to be whatever. And that is not the heart of God. Um, and that's why I have a problem with some of these other doctrines that we've mentioned. Some we maybe will yep. at some other point where I don't want to hear first John five, seven, God is love. Right. And then all the other garbage that you pile on me after that is so contrary to what you just laid out in three simple words. Yep. God is love. 
yep. love your neighbor, but we've yep. muddied it so much to where I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get bound. I'm not going to have some, and I'm not going to agree to something that down the road is going to cause a problem because if Mark and I made a statement today, we adhered to it. We, you know, pricked our finger and put blood on this camera screen, whatever. If five years down the road, one of us wanted to turn away from that, you can't tell me it would go smoothly. You just can't. Or if Mark started doing something contrary to what he already agreed to, I could go to him and say, Hey, Mark, you agreed that you would never, you know, feel this way. And in this episode, you said this, can you want to explain that? How has that ever been helpful? Right. I just, I don't know. And, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know either. And I just, I think that, I think it's just, we're just trying to give you something to think about. Like Nate and I are not the authorities on these topics. We're just trying to learn. And I wholeheartedly agree with him that if God is what he has been presented to be by a large swath of Western Christianity, I am just so done with that, with him. But I just don't think he is. I don't yeah. think he is that. And I'm on, you know, and I'm wanting to know more about him. And I think the best way to do that is to stop closing myself off from such a vast segment of the body of Christ um, that have been set aside because they forgot to agree to 12 points of doctrine um, as I laid them out. And if that makes me a heretic, I'll wear that label proudly. I don't care about your label heretic. Um, you know, well, you're a heretic. I couldn't care less what you think about that. It's, it's like I'll end with this story and we'll, and we'll leave. When I was in Bible college, um, I've always been a bit of a troublemaker anyway, but when I was in Bible college, I was on a bus route with a guy who fancied himself a very masculine, macho man. And we were at a fast food restaurant on Saturday bus routes and he got a drink and I got a drink. We were sitting around with a bunch of other bus workers and I made the mistake of putting a straw in my drink. At which point he looked at me and said, real men don't drink from straws and because of the dad i had and the upbringing i had i looked at him and said i can't tell you how little i care about your definition of a real man and just drank from my straw i mean he said well he's stupid that's your doctrinal statement it's just stupid stop it and if you well you're a heretic i can't tell you how little i care um and uh so yeah, Nate's the soft one. He's he's the cut. He's the teddy bear, I guess. Um, we try to we try to balance each other out, but I think that's all. I think that's all the trouble we can possibly cause in one episode today. Um, but here we go. So, Nate, you want to say anything before we leave? Because I'm I'm spent, dude. I'm like I'm like done. <laughs> no, I'm good. I uh, <laughs> I love the old stories. May they never uh, may they never go away. Um, the the level of <laughs> I better be nice because last episode I made a comment that I strongly believe that may have went too far but the level of mental superiority that we thought oh, was I, there oh that genuinely you know was just that level of crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yep. men men don't use straws I mean that uh, that is that's powerful that is that is powerful man who says that's making up for some deficiency somewhere else is all i'm (laughs) all i'm gonna say so (laughs) So. 
<laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, we'll be back, Lord willing, and if the creek don't rise and YouTube don't cancel us, and anybody's still listening, we'll be back maybe next week, maybe, with another episode of the Hideous Bride podcast. Thanks for watching. Please click subscribe. Please click like. Please click dislike twice, and we will see you around the universe. Take care, everybody. Peace.